something. We are in Genesis this morning. We're in Genesis uh, 16. And as we enter into this chapter of Genesis, Abram has been living in the land of Canaan for for well over 10 years now, or right at 10 years. He's 85 years old, and his wife is 75 years old. And again, that's, that's a little different. Think about 40 to 45, you know, just because they lived so much longer at that point. But God, but they were also past childbearing years. So it was all kind of a little different back then. But God has, uh, God has promised Abram 10 years ago that he would have a child and he had to wait and trust on the Lord, and this can kind of be difficult, especially when you feel like nothing's happening. You know, have you ever been in that situation where you're trusting in the Lord, but you're like, okay, well, when's this going to, like, Lord, I'm really, I'm waiting on you, I'm trying here, you know. And, and the devil, it, it can be very difficult because the devil is right there ready to attack you. He, tell, he attacks you by telling you that God cannot keep his promise. Or as we see today, God needs help in fulfilling it. You know, God promised you something, so you kind of help God along the way. Um, and so chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. When we studied chapter 12, we saw at one point that Abram was in Canaan, and he'd come to the land that God had to, uh, told him to come to, and he brought all his entourage with him, all the people with him, and he, need, you know, he was responsible for all these people. So he's like, I need to feed them, and all of a sudden a famine showed up, so he took off to Egypt, uh, because Egypt is a fertile land. There's, there was always food down there. So while there, uh, you know, he was not where God wanted him to be. God never told him to go to Egypt, but he did anyway, trying to provide. And while he was there, his wife, he told his wife to say, hey, I'm your sister, or you're my sister, which was kind of a half-truth because she was his half-sister back then and all that. But, uh, but he was basically saying, you know, they're going to attack me, they're going to kill me, and they're going to steal you. So just say I'm your sister, uh, you're my sister, and, and that way they'll treat me well. And so Pharaoh, of course, did start treating him well because this wealthy man came into his kingdom. So Pharaoh got to know him and, and, and was nice to him and, and to Sarai. And, and Pharaoh, you know, eventually finds out what was going on and says, you need to leave. But when he left, they took a young handmaiden, they took a young servant with them. Named anyone? Hagar. So now we jump forward to chapter 16. And, you know, this really comes back to bite them. Little did they realize this young woman would impact not only their lives, but all the descendants of Abram. And all the way to this day, it affects our lives as Abram's spiritual descendants. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she, was an, she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Now, a few things to understand about the culture back then. This was a very acceptable thing to do back then. They have records found all around them during this time uh, talking about how if, if a, a wife of a man was barren, the handmaiden could step in and they would become the legal children of 
the one that's in charge. In other words, in Abram and Sarah. So if, if the handmaiden had a, a child, the, the child literally would become Abraham's or Abram's and Sarah. And, and I mean, it was very bad for barren women back then. There was a stigma there. And, you know, that many of them felt this judgment was, it came from God. And basically she has this attitude of the Lord has kept me. The Lord has, has, has kept my womb closed. She knew that God had promised that, that he would be a father, but she didn't feel the need to, or, or feel that God made her that promise. She knew that she, you know, Abram was promised this, but did it extend to her or just him? So in her mind, in her thinking, she's thinking, well, it's been 10 stinking years. I must be the problem. So she tried to help God out. Legal, but is it right? No. There's a lot of things that are legal that, <laughs> that aren't right. Smoking pot in California, that's legal. I don't think it's right. Alters your mind, it alters your state. I mean, we always rag on drinking, which I understand. Drinking is legal. Overdrinking is not. Overdrinking is not right. Well, I mean, you can overdrink at home and they're not going to arrest you, but it's not right. It's not good in God's eyes. So there's a lot of things that are, that are right in the world that aren't necessarily right with God. With Sarah, you have this idea here that, that if God, you know, this, this whole idea that God helps those who help themselves. Have you ever read that in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. The problem is that's not in the Bible. We all think it is because we've been told that over and over and over. God never calls Hagar Abram's wife. It's interesting. Just Sarah. Just Sarah. The Lord has kept me from having children, Sarah said. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through you. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Sarai, now it's, it's Sarah, I keep saying Sarah, it's Sarai at this point, he does change his name to Sarah, so I kind of get them all mixed up. So. But she's working from the flesh here, and really Abram is no better in this situation. He is not being the spiritual leader here. He's being very passive. He doesn't step up and say, well, let's pray, let's worship God, let's figure out if this is what God wants for us or not. Instead, he listens to his wife, and it hurts him. Now, I'm not saying that men should not listen to the wives, okay? <laughs> Just as I'm not saying that wives shouldn't listen to their husbands. You listen, and then you need to figure out if what you're doing is a biblical way to go. That's the key. Let me throw this uh, verse out, uh, out to you before you say, well, I shouldn't listen to my wife. Later on in Genesis, Genesis 21, 12, it says, but God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Okay, so you have a point where God says, you need to listen to her. So don't, you know, you know, we can see sometimes we should listen and sometimes we shouldn't. So how do you know which one is correct time to do? You know, you got to work that out between God and your spouse. So ladies, you're supposed to listen to your husband as long as they're doing godly things. Work out that between you and God and your husband. Men, you're supposed to listen to your wife as long as it leads you in a godly direction. Work that out between your wife and God. Don't play this, well, I don't need to listen to you thing. On either way, 
So in verse 3, it goes on. It says, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took, it, uh, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. So you see the legal setup here. Literally, she was to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she, she was pregnant, she beca- began to despise her mistress. So now Sarah knows the fertility problem was hers. You know, in her mind, right? Well, I couldn't conceive a child. My husband legally took another woman. They had a baby, so therefore it must be my problem. So you can see that it kind of confirms her thinking already, and it kind of hacks her off. I mean, it would hack you off, right? You know, in this situation, God has cursed me, she probably thought. But really, he was preparing her. God was, you know, calls it pruning God takes some things away, and he gets us ready for the next step. And, and, you know, but we often think of it as a curse when, when God takes something away. And the devil often uses this for his advantage. You know, God is, you know, God is, is doing this to you. You see what God is, you see the direction God has taken you in your life? God is doing this to you. That's what the devil is saying to you. And it, but, but, you know, when the Father prunes us, it's never to curse us. It's always to prepare us for greater fruitlessness, uh, fruitfulness. This is what's going on in Sarah, uh, Sarah's life here. Once Hagar conceived, she began to look down on Sarai. Well, I was able to have a child. You weren't. Now, the Scripture doesn't say anything directly was said like that. But you know how we are, right? Those looks that we give the looks that we don't give or whatever. You can see it in their eyes. I was talking to somebody this last week, and, and I was very surprised, and you could see it in my eyes. We were talking, I said, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, she, she fell this past week and, like, broke three ribs. And they looked at me like, who? And I'm like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, Supreme Court justice? I mean, I'm just like dumb. You could see it in my eyes. You could hear it in my voice. This is how we are as humans, right? So you can imagine the, the interaction between Sarai and Hagar and, and kind of that, that, that built up, you know, kind of that animosity between the two. A person has a problem with you and they don't say anything, but every time you look at them, you see the look in their eyes. It's always better to get this stuff out in the open so you can work through it instead of staying at that eye stage, you know what I mean? Because this causes an inter- interesting reaction from Sarai towards Abram. It says here in verse 5, Then Sarai said to Abram, You, you, you were the responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. This is your fault. I put my slave in your arms, and now, she know, uh, now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge, uh, be the judge between you and me. Now, on the face of it, you kind of get my, you know, my inflection of my voice, you know, kind of the accusatory here. But, you know, from her standpoint, this seems really unfair, you know, or from his standpoint, you know, you gave me permission to do this. You didn't trust God, but the problem is he went along with it, which wasn't really that smart to begin with. But she's also the one that put him up with it. 
When it got south, she got mad. See, oftentimes as Christians, when we take matters into our own hands, when it blows up, we like to blame people, don't we? We either blame God. I'm not listening to you anymore, God, because you caused this to happen in my life. Or we blame, you know, a, a really good friend or we blame our spouse. I shouldn't have trusted you. I did, you know, what you said was right. Instead of going, man, I shouldn't have trusted you. I did what I thought was right. I shouldn't have done that. Now, there is one sense of this that Sarah is right about Abram. She says, may the Lord judge between you and me. What she is saying is this. Abram is a spiritual leader of her house. It is his responsibility to make godly decisions. So basically she is saying, why did you listen to me anyway? <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Why did you listen to me? You know I'm going to screw it up. You know I'm going to go that direction. Why did you listen to me? Abram allowed this to happen, and they were suffering the consequences. Verse 6, it says, Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from here. Now, <laughs> unfortunately, Abram's trying to wash his hands of all this a little bit, right? It makes a second bad decision. Here, Sarah is, is mistreating Hagar in the same way that she was mistreated. And, I mean, this isn't really, I mean, this is how we are. I keep saying that because it's true. When somebody mistreats us, what do we do? <laughs> we can't wait to get them back. We can't wait to treat them the same way. You know, maybe it's a, a situation, maybe it goes longer. But the longer we sit with it, we're like, well, next time. Next time. See, this is so difficult because we get, you know, we all get an attitude. Fine, if that's the way you want to treat me. And it never turns out good when we react that way. Now, on the flip side of this, there's a code. Have you heard of the Code of Hammurabi? Hopefully somebody goes, yeah, okay, Gary, Gary, good. Because then I don't have to go, the code of, you know, I don't have to act like that with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg thing. But the code of Hammurabi was, was basically the law that everybody, was kind of the general law that everybody uh, worked with all the, uh, back then. And they have found uh, copies of this stuff and, and all sorts of things. But Law 146 of the code of Hammurabi that they would have known from living back then was this. If a man takes a wife and she, she, uh, and she give this man a maidservant as wife and she bears him children, and then this maid assumes uh, assume equality with the wife because she has borne him children, her master shall not sell her for money, but he may keep her as a slave, reckoning her among the maidservants." So basically what you do is you take a slave, you sleep with them, they get pregnant, all of a sudden they kind of like get all uppity about, well, I'm at the same level as the wife. The wife couldn't give him a child. Well, basically you can be demoted back to slavery and not be at the wife status. Okay, that was the, I'm not saying that was right. The whole thing is so screwed up, but I'm just saying that that's how people acted back then. So now Hagar is upset at being treated like a slave again. He says, your slave is in your hands. 
giving it back to the Wi-Fi, you know, the whole idea. You do whatever. So you can see what kind of a mess this situation is, is here. Everyone kind of is at fault. And here is the problem. Everyone is looking at this as the world's standards, not God's standards. There's lots of things that we can look at in this world with the world's standards and not God's standards. And by the world's standards, we go, that's okay. But, you know, legally, that's okay. But... God's standards are a little different. This is why I'm against abortion. It has nothing to do for me with the right of the woman because that's from the world's view. Everyone has a right to do what, the, what they want to do with themselves. That's the world's view. Who am I to say differently? But I look at it through God's eyes. Life is precious, and we don't unnecessarily kill for no reason or for selfish reasons. If you take steps to understand what a baby is like in the wound, and when they start developing, did you know seven months before they're born, they get fingerprints? I mean, I could go on and on about all sorts of, of different things, but if you truly see this, and you would see it through God's eyes, at least that's how I see it, God's standards. We don't live by the world's standards of right and wrong. Chapter 15 is a, is a great chapter. And then we get to chapter 16, and I wish it really wasn't there. I mean, it, it knocked Abram off his pedestal. We, we put Abram up and says, godly man of following the Lord, and, and then all of a sudden he just kind of tumbles off. But I love this about the Lord, because the Lord includes the faults of our forefathers in the Bible to understand that we're all on the same journey. Sometimes we make great decisions, and sometimes we make terrible decisions. And it's our job to go back to the Lord and say, forgive me for that decision. Now get me back on my journey. This is maturing. There are times when, you know, <laughs> when Peter, where he said to Christ, you are the son of the living God. And then there's times we're like Peter when, when we go, God, there's no way you're going to the cross. And God says, get behind me, Satan. This is our journey, and we have to be mindful of our decisions. It goes on, it says in verse 6, Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do, not, do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated, uh, Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. This is the first time we see the phrase, angel of the Lord. And it's a very interesting phrase because the word angel means messenger. In other words, hey, go deliver this message. That's what the word means. But sometimes it's just an angel, but other times like it does here, it refers to the Old Testament pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. It's called a, in technical terms, it's called a theological terms, it's called a theophany. It's where Christ appears in the Old Testament. So how do we know this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ? Because Hagar calls him God, and the angel doesn't correct her. You see? Every other time in the Bible, the angel goes, well, no, 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 don't worship me. Don't. No. We see this Old Testament appearance of God manifesting himself in a couple of places. We see it with Jacob, where he wrestles with the Lord in, in Genesis 32. And we see it in the book of Judges and many other places. But when the context shows that the person recognizes and calls him God, then we know it's Christ. 
because there's no correction. When he says, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground, we know it's Christ because the angel never receives worship. In the book of Revelation, we see John, you know, the angel showing John all these phenomenal things. And John is so overwhelmed that he, he bows down in front of the angel. And the angel's like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 don't worship me. I worship the same God as you worship. The only angel who says worship me is the fallen angel, Satan himself. That's what he's doing. He's the counterfeit. He wants you to worship him. So the Lord Jesus Christ found her. I love this, that he found her, went out looking for her. It says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur interesting Jesus in the New Testament talks about he is the uh, he's the shepherd looking for the lost sheep notice the picture of the Lord here Uh, I mean you know the Lord is is painting this picture for us here we see this broken unloved slave girl who's pregnant a nobody kind of pretty much on the run from an abusive situation now, Shur is, is the name of the desert near Egypt, and she's on her way home, basically. She's like, I'm from Egypt. I'm, I can't stay there. I'm going back to what I know, which is back to Egypt. Egypt was the, the people of Ham. They were cursed by Noah. So you know you have a cursed people here, and Abram goes to them and takes one of their people and adopts him into his family, into the messianic line here. In verse 8, it says... And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, does God know all this? Yeah, he's omnipotent. I mean, he knows everything. Where are you going or where you come from and where are you going? This is a great question for, for her and a great question for us. Where do you want to end up in life? God asked this to the Israelites, you know, out in the desert after they came from Egypt, you know, 400 years after the, you know, Abram, uh, you know, the, they get, uh, uh, the people get taken to Egypt and 400 years are there and they come out and, and you know, the story of Exodus and so forth and, you know, brought them out of the wilderness and, and God didn't intend for them to stay there that long, just long enough, like a year, maybe a year and a half to, to build the tabernacle and get the priesthood squared away and all those kind of things. And, and then he wanted them to go into the promised land. But they got to the border and 12 men were sent in. 12 great men were sent in and, you know, warriors and stuff, including Joshua and Caleb. And what, what they found was a fertile land. A land of what they call the milk and honey. In other words, you know, you can grow these huge crops and all this other stuff there. And, 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 but the, the problem was, 10 of the spies came back and they said, oh man, it's awesome over there. But these, there's giants there. There's no way we could defeat them. And Joshua and Caleb came back and they said, whoa, 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 wait a second. The Lord has given us land to us. We can take them because God is, our God is bigger than they are. But the people listened to what? The ten spies. And God said, because you haven't trusted me, you're going to spend one year in the desert for every day the spies were in the land. They spent another 38 years in the wilderness because of their unbelief. See, God's goal is to get us into the promised land. But oftentimes we'll linger in the wilderness because we don't trust him. He, you know... uh, (laughs) 
you know, God will bless us and we'll, you know, and then we'll just say, is God really for me? We know where we come from. We come from the world, right? That's where we've all come from. Now, some of us came to the Lord a lot quicker, you know, at six, seven, eight years old or, or you know, or, or in our teenage years or high school years. But some of us came to the Lord a lot later than that. We know where we came from. But where do you want to end up? You want to end up back in the world? That's what the Israelites wanted. In fact, the Israelites go, got so fed up with manna that God was providing for them, the food that God was providing to them, they were like, we want to go back to Egypt. And you're like, what? You want to go back to slavery? You want to go back to where you're getting beaten while you build the, you know, all the stuff? But apparently, that was better than God's ways. So the question for us is, do you really want to go back to the, God, I mean, the world's ways? Or do you want to go toward godliness? Because the world cannot fulfill you. You can try it through so many different ways for the world to fulfill you, but it will not fulfill you. So for you, do you really want to go back to the world or to the Lord? Remember when, the, when Jesus' disciples left him? Uh, 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 I'm not talking about the 12, but the hundreds that were following him around until, you know, he started talking about, and until he started talking about what was going to happen. And, and he turned to the 12 after all those guys had left and, and women had left, and he goes, are you going to go also? And Peter says, where else would we go? Only you offer the words of eternal life. See, it's not easy to walk with the world. But there's no way I could ever go back to the world. You know, I look at uh, some friends of mine on Facebook, and many of them have followed the world's ways. And, and a great number of them, you know, uh, a great number of them have gone that way. And, and some of the things I read and see, I'm just, it, just, it just burdens me. I'm just like, ah, it kills me, you know. But it's a great reminder that the path the Lord has put me on, a much better path because there's a hope that I have in my life, a heavenly hope, and I have no option but to go forward with the Lord. That's where we need to put our mind on. Verse 8, it says, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And this is what we, you know, this is what we uh, in the world like to do. We run away from our problems. Every one of us have gotten to the point where we run away from our problems. Even David did this. Some, sometime this week, read Psalms 55. You know, and he basically says, I wish I had wings so I could just fly away from here. He just wanted to get away. But running away is never the answer. We need to deal with our problems and deal with our problems in a biblical way. And it can be difficult. And sometimes you need help to deal with that. That's okay. Come ask for help. We will help you along that path. Verse 9, it says, Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that there will be too, uh, they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him, name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Ishmael means God hears. So he heard her. He will be a wild donkey of a man. 
His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. <laughs> this is picking up on something that we really know well and they knew well. The whole idea of, of hand against everyone. In fact, they lived in a desert, and, and the wild of a donkey of a man, what it's talking about is they had these, these desert donkeys. They were kind of more like horses, but they were donkeys also. But it was an amazing that they could even survive and multiply out there. But the problem was they're very territorial, and they're very ornery. I mean, they couldn't even get along with each other. They were pretty much loners. And you know, they're out there surviving by themselves. So Ishmael will be like this. Now, who are Ishmael's descendants? All the Arabs. The Arabs are Ishmael's descendants. And we can see how today this prophecy has come, come really true. They're territorial. They can't get along with each other. There's like 22 different Arab nations over there. And they can't get along with each other. And they certainly don't get along with what? <laughs> Israel. And they certainly don't get along with who else? The rest of the world. The conflict that they brought to this world is unbelievable. It says, and he will be, live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now, is every Arab that you know full of hostility? No. No, I mean, there's some right-minded, just, like you know, just like in any culture. There's some people that, that you can get along with. They're peaceful Arabs, but as a whole, between the Arabs and the Arab brothers, they don't get along. Between Arabs and the rest of the world, they don't get along. Between Arabs and Israel, they don't get along. Think of it like this. Their shortcut that they did here, Abram and Hagar and Sarai led to a thousand years worth of conflicts and blood spilt. <laughs> Great shortcut, right? I'm just helping the Lord out here. Thousands of years of blood and conflict. When we try to help the Lord out, we usually get ourselves in trouble, especially when we're desperate. We need to wait on God's timing and trust him. Verse 13, it goes on, it says, She gave him, or she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. So she gives uh, God a name and she gives uh, God a, a place, you know, or she names a place there. And it says, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Hagar is amazed that God took time to talk with her. She's amazed that God even knew who she was. God saw her and cared about her. See, we, we have this concept that God sees everyone. But, but she's also amazed that God knows her and is willing to help her. A broken, abused, pregnant slave girl. Verse 14, it says, this is why the well is called Ber uh, Lahai uh, Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. This reminds me of another woman, a woman sitting by a well, broken, rejected by her people, a woman of, of Samaria from Sychar, 
See, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Uh, you know, about 750 years after, the, the Syrian, after this, the Syrians came and conquered Israel. And they took most of the people away. And what they did, would do is they would bring in people from all over the empire, okay? And they would bring them in and transplant them. In other words, they go and conquer your country, you know, this section of people. And we take a whole bunch of these people and put them over in this section and let them intermingle and marry and stuff. In other words, it, it changes the culture and it puts them into this, you know, uh, good graces of the Syrians. In other words, the Syrians are the ones in control here. So they took most of the people and they left just basically the sick and the affirmed and the elderly and they brought in all these people and they, they repopulated the, the land and eventually you have Gentile pagans marrying the Jewish women there and the, and the Jewish men. So their offsprings were what? Half Jews. And they eventually became known as the Samaritans. So they were ignored. So in Jesus' day, a, you know, a rabbi would, would never walk into Samaria. If they had to go north to Galilee, they literally would start to head north, and then they would go across the Jordan River, which was a longer journey, and they would travel out by, um, by the Dead Sea and all that all the way up north, and then cross back over the Jordan to go up to Galilee. They would never be caught and Samaria. Well, Jesus goes right into Samaria and meets this woman at the well at noon. You know she's an outcast because she's drawing water at noon. Who draws water at noon? At noon, you know, that's the hottest part of the day over there. Okay, I know for us it's like 6 p.m. is the hottest part of the day. You go to Texas, it's 3 p.m. So, I mean, it's different, you know, but noon would be, not, that's not the time. All the ladies would come out together in the morning and do their work together. Think of it as Starbucks. <laughs> you like that one? You know, they would all go together, and then they would all come back to the homes. So, if you're out there at noon by yourself, you know you're an outcast. Later, we find out she's been married and divorced five times, and the guy she's living with now is not even married to her. So she's basically shunned by everyone. Jesus knew that she was thirsty both spiritually and physically. And Jesus says, give me a drink. She's basically amazed. She knows he's from Hebrew, uh, I mean, from uh, Jerusalem. She, she knows he's a Jew, and she also knows he's a rabbi. Well, how would she know that? Well, Jesus would wear the rabbi robes, and they had a special thread that, that you know, and tassels that went around the bottom of, of the robe to, to say you were a rabbi. So Jesus would have been uh, dressed like this, and she basically says, why ask me? You're a rabbi. He replies, if you knew who this was, you'd be asking me for a drink of the living water. Now, being a practical woman, she basically says, well, you can't give me water. You don't even have a bucket or a rope or anything to draw it out of the well. Come on. And he says, I know you. I know what's going on with you. You're trying to fill your thirst with all these men. You're trying to fill this thirst that you have with the world when in reality you need me to fill that. So she goes on and, and basically she gets saved there and she puts down her bucket of water and, and she runs in the town to tell others about the one true God. 
You see, here's the point. The Lord knows. The Lord knows the hurting. The Lord knows what you're going through. He knows when you're rejected. You know, we find ourselves out in the wilderness and all of a sudden we're feeling all alone. We're going through this dry period of our life and the Lord is like, I know. And we're like, but I don't hear your voice. But you need to know that there is a well where you can get the living water. And that's Jesus Christ. He is our Ber Lahai Roy. The one who provides the well and the one who sees me. The one who knows that I live and the one who sees me. Do you feel seen? I mean, literally, do you feel seen by God today? Because God sees you. God sees and he cares. He looks out for those who are in need. He reveals himself to them to do what? To redirect their lives. She was going back to Egypt, but he stopped her and he redirected her. And God comes to us and redirects us at certain times in our lives that we need. Solomon had this too. After years of trying to to fill the void in his life, at the end he realizes nothing satisfies him. And finally he goes back to God. David tells, uh, you know, basically told him on the day he coronated Solomon, his son, as king, he says, if you seek the Lord, he will be found. But if you forsake him, he will, wa- he will walk away from him. So serve him with a willing heart and a willing mind. And then he went out and he tried to fill the void that he had with the world. See, it's a common thing. If you keep walking forward, you never slide backwards. If you stay in the Word, you stay in the fellowship, you maintain the prayer life or begin a prayer life and and start building those godly things in your life, the Lord will protect you. But if you get off that path, are you under the protection of the Lord? No, you're not. You're not at all. Now, if you've strayed and you're feeling a little convicted today, that's because he wants to redirect your life back onto his path, back to the joy you could have in this life when you're here on this earth to be able to go, man, I've been going through this terrible time, but I know the Lord's in charge, and that's okay. I'm okay because I know the Lord's in charge. I can still cry. I can still go through difficult times, but I know the Lord is protecting me, and I can handle whatever's going on because he's allowing me to. See, when you feel broken, the Lord sees you and says you are valued. We need to start feeling more valued today because God can use us when we are at this point. Verse 15, it says, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. I love the statement that the Lord gives her. Where did you come from, and where are you going? See, when you die, where are you going? It's a good question, because one day, each and every one of us are going to die, right? We hate to admit that, but you need to know where you're headed when that time comes. The Lord asks a simple question. 
Where did you come from? And where are you going? Very important. Where are you going? Why don't you stand and we'll pray as the worship team comes and finishes it up today. Lord, you're an amazing God to chase down this woman. This woman caught up in this awful situation that you would even care for her is amazing. That she would respond to you and that you would take care of her and watch over her. Truly shows the compassion that you have for each one of us, Lord. There are some of us that are out here that are, that are sitting going, I am off the path, Lord. I need to be back on the right path. Lord, we, we pray that you show us that path. You show us how to get back on that path. Because you see us and you care for us. And that's so important for us to understand that you see us and you care for us. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. Bless you this week in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.